Hey, it's your wingman, Kagan, and welcome to the Dangerously Vulnerable Podcast, where we talk to honest leaders who care less about perception and more about the success of others. Today, we're going to dive into a visionary's life and learn how adversity, failings, and bad decisions have shaped their lives, their thinking, and their definition of success. There's absolutely no room for inflated success stories, so you can take notes on the learnings that have shaped them for the better. This podcast is brought to you by Height Digital in Oklahoma City, one of the leading creative and marketing agencies for visionaries looking to accelerate their growth and increase their revenue. Let's go. Well, welcome to the Dangerously Vulnerable podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you very much. I've been looking forward to it. Well, I want to get started here and make sure that all of our audience knows a little bit more about who you are and what you're known for. So can you just tell us just a little bit more of who you are and what you've been known for over these last many years? Um, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin, and um, I languish in obscurity. Millions have never heard of me. <laughs> However, among those that, uh, that have, um, it's for uh, writing a book called Thou Shall Prosper. And uh, the book was somewhat provocative because it asked the question, that um, really very few people were willing to ask for fear of being labeled an anti-Semitic bigot. And I guess I assumed that uh, I was fairly safe from that particular charge. As it turns out, I was wrong. <laughs> but, um, but the question I asked was, how come Jews have been disproportionately successful with money? Uh, and that's been true in good times and in bad uh, it's been true in oppressive, tyrannical regimes, as well as wonderfully hospitable countries. And, uh, and, and I started the book by, uh, by exploring some of the um, incorrect explanations and, and debunking them. You know, for instance, uh, the one that Jews have a high IQ, Jews are, are super high intelligent, and that's why they, they do so well with money. And that one was relatively easy to debunk because uh, everybody knows that in the United States of America, the people with the highest IQ generally end up on the faculties of universities, not at the helm of big businesses. Mm -hmm. and, and while people like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett are outliers, they truly are exceptional in the sense that both are highly uh, intelligent, very high IQ people, uh, they're not the normal run of the mill. Uh, that's that's not typical at all. Most people do not drop out of Harvard and become billionaires, um, you know. And Warren Buffett is his own story. So um, those things are 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 clearly not due to IQ. And uh, everybody in in the financial services industries knows that very few people are worse at money than university faculty people. Uh, academics are among the very worst. So. Uh, it's not a case of uh, IQ. Jewish success, uh, if anything, would be in spite of IQ, not because of it. Uh, in, in, in reality, uh, in exactly the same way, that super low IQ, you know, the Forrest Gump movie from many, many years ago, yes. uh, Tom Hanks, uh, For Forrest Gump is uh, functionally unint unintelligent. I mean, his IQ level is low uh, and he becomes a tycoon. Hello, that's a movie, Hollywood. <laughs> All right. It's not reality. Uh, people who have trouble getting through high school do not do well in business. Now, uh, at the other end, it's equally true. People with super high IQ, in other words, it's the old bell curve. 
people at both extremes, right. the, the very low and the very high, do not do well at business. And part of the reason is because you do well at business when you interact with a lot of people economically. And most of us prefer to interact with people we know and we like and we trust. And none of us really feel comfortable with people who are much, much, much more intelligent than we are. It's not, you know, it's not uh, snobbishness or anything. It's just that we feel that sometimes you feel there's a hidden agenda there that you don't quite get. Mm -hmm. And so we, we're, we're not fond of that. Most, most people prosper in the middle of that bell curve. The average, you know, Sam Walton built Walmart. Sam Walton was an ordinary pickup truck driving kind of guy. And that's all you need. You do have to have an understanding of how the world really works. But that was what my book gave. Right. And that's, that's interesting. But, you, you do focus a lot on uh, how the world really works. And so what you're, what you're saying, and tell me if I'm wrong, because I know you will, is that you're saying that we don't have to be Jewish to have actual success. But a lot of the times people say, well, they're successful because they're a Jew. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, no, that's nonsense. Exactly. Um, if, you know, if success was because Jewish men are circumcised, I think quite a lot of people would prefer poverty. <laughs> so, um, uh, so no, it's nothing to do with being Jewish. It is having access to ancient Jewish wisdom. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, you know, you ask what I'm known for. I'm known for making ancient Jewish wisdom, particularly in the area of finance, accessible to people of every background or no background. So I'm really excited to have you as my rabbi today on, on this podcast. And one of the things that we've been talking about on this podcast is more of the vulnerabilities of visionaries and some of their failures, some of their successes, and also how other people have helped them. I want to flip this conversation today a little bit differently than where we've gone. And what I want to talk to you about first is a little bit more on the, on the failure side, but I want to ask you a question in regards to this. So one of the things you had, you had mentioned, um, when we were conversing a little bit back and forth before the, the podcast is you said that in the times that you uh, consistently actually failed, um, it was because it was because you weren't actually following the Jewish wisdom that you knew. Now I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. What I would love to know from you, and I think a lot of listeners would love to know is what do you, what do you mean by that? What does that, what does that actually look like? Because you're, you're definitely not claiming to have success all the time, correct? Right. Uh, although I must say, since I have um, un unreservedly uh, made my roadmap, uh -huh. uh, ancient Jewish wisdom, thank God I've been blessed with considerable success. But uh, but there were times before that that uh, I'm afraid I thought I knew better. So okay, so I want to ask you. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit more about that. Um, so I think about the the U.S. Let's just talk about the U.S. in general. And we are so focused on success. We are so focused on achieving uh, what the world considers success. And from reading your book, well, from listening, I'm more of a listener. So listening to your book, um, there are some big principles here that I would say the world is not teaching about success. Can you talk to us just a little bit about what that looks like? What are some of those principles are? and what that looks like to, to actually achieve great success? It's, um, 
It's really important, I think, to to realize that, uh, first of all, there is a, a necessary authenticity, by which I mean to say that uh, anybody coming to my system, to the system of ancient Jewish wisdom, and hoping to enjoy the same kind of financial success that is so spectacularly enjoyed by the modern-day people of uh, the Hebrew persuasion, um, but they want a list of the tricks. Mm -hmm. You know, what are the things you're supposed to learn? What are the things you're supposed to do? Uh, Well, you're going to be disappointed Mm -hmm. because whilst uh, huge numbers of people have had their financial destiny transformed uh, by my book, Thou Shall Prosper, um, it's because they have understood the the book and they haven't tried to shortcut it and by that i mean to say uh it it is very much a question not of what you know but what you are Hmm. you see uh you you can fool some of the people some of the time and or you know you know that i'll say but you can't fool everybody all the time that doesn't really work and um and so I'll, i'll just give you one example um at the present time, not only in the United States of America, but uh, if you're doing business in China, in Japan, in Germany, in Sweden, in the United Kingdom, uh, in Northern Ireland or Southern South Ireland, uh, in, in virtually in, in all the countries I've had experience in, uh, obscenity, vulgarity, curse words do not fly in business. They just don't. Now, Again, if if you are the black swan, if you are the the, the one in a million people who, who comes up with a new app and all of a sudden it becomes a unicorn company and and uh, and you're valued at billions of dollars, you know what? You can say what you like and you'll get away with it. Sure. But for the rest of us, that doesn't really work. Um, and and and. And so I, I explain that if if you have grown up and you've become somebody who just casually drops F-bombs in your conversation and it's become your most overused adjective in all your communication, um, I say to you, so you know what? The, I'm, I'm not going to be able to coach you. I'm not going to be able to help you till you got that into shape. And more than one person has responded to me and said, Rabbi Lappin, I'm not an idiot. Um, that may be the way I talk among friends, but do you really think I speak that way when I'm in business or in 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 formal and business surroundings? Of course I don't. So let's just get on with it. I'm not I'm not an idiot, mm-hmm. and uh, I have to say, you know, with all due respect, you'll pardon me, but you really are an idiot. And and the sooner you learn that, know that, uh, the more effective it'll be. What are you, what are you talking about? I said because you think that you can just switch it off and stop using those words. And he answers, he says, I guarantee you that I can, and that's exactly what I do. I say, I know. (laughs) But here's what you don't know. What you don't know is that your brain, as quick as it is, has a finite operating speed, just like your computer does. And it is possible to give, even if you have a a nine-core latest Intel a Windows computer, it is possible to give it a problem. Just imagine the problem is having to do with solving the Bitcoin 
paradox. You can give your computer a problem where it takes noticeable time to process. You'll see it sometimes in video processing as well. The same thing is true from your brain, excepting being on the inside of it, you don't always realize that there's a delay. And so when you have set your brain the instruction, replace every, for instance, every F word, replace it with uh, a word, another adjective like excessively or exceedingly or very or whatever it is, what you don't realize is that it takes a perceptible moment for that processing to occur. You don't notice it, but we on the outside do, and it becomes noticeable as a tiny gap in your communication which we interpret as insincerity at best and downright dishonesty at worst. Mm. You come across as if you are seeking the answer. You don't feel it. You're on the inside looking out. Mm -hmm. You think you're communicating normally. I promise you, you're not. Your communication has tiny but perceptible time lags in it. And so if this was just about tricks, I'd say, hey, trick number one is... If you do use uh, careless and uh, and vulgar language, just you know, can it for the uh, for the business meeting. Right, that's a nice trick. Unfortunately, it doesn't work mm -hmm. because authenticity is very much tied to business success. Exactly, and uh, it will come through. So you you actually need to stop using that kind of language in in the rest of your life as well. You may not like hearing me saying this, but you have to know, you know, if you if you if you have, you know, heaven forbid, you have a serious medical problem, you go to the doctor, and uh, what would you rather he says? Hey, just carry on doing everything you're doing. You know, enjoy life. Do exactly what you're doing. Well, will I get better? Well, no, actually, you'll die soon. Well, then, what should I be doing? Well, you don't want to hear that. What should I be doing? Well, you've got to cut out fatty food, cut out salt and uh, exercise a whole lot more, eat a whole lot less. That's what you got to do. Now, you don't want to hear that. Sure. But you've got to decide what you want more. So here again, um, many, many people I've worked with do not want to hear that they have to change the way they language. I like the way I speak. I like the way I like who I am. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing well, right now. That I can't help That's you. pretty trendy. Sorry? That's pretty trendy right now is a... Uh, you be you, uh, just, just be yes, who you are. Right. right? And, yeah. uh, and you have something different to say about that. And that's just one example. Um, you know, another example is I, I have programs and exercises for helping you learn to like people. Hmm. Well, you know, as long as I'm polite and I am honest and I keep my word, why do I actually have to like them? I can I can come across as charming even though I I have contempt for people. I'm just good at that. Well, it's not going to work because you're not quite as good at it as you think you are. Most of us um, have crap detectors built into us, and most of us have insincerity detectors built into us. And just think about people you know, people you've met. Right. And I don't think you'll have any trouble dividing the people you know into the sincere group and the insincere group. Right. We can all do it. Now, you may not be consciously aware of doing it, but but we do business, we choose to do business with people we like. Mm -hmm. And that means people we feel like us as well. You, you can't fool that. You can't, uh, you, you can't fake that either. So uh, a lot of it is about uh, learning authenticity. Mm -hmm. 
And yes, it will make you a different person. But then the secret of human growth is not loving who you are, but loving who you could become. Mm. That's that's interesting because that is definitely not a that's not what the world says right now. <laughs> yeah, now that doesn't mean that they're not horrible people who get rich. Sure. Well, I was going to say, I think there's a lot of people who would say, "Well, then why do a lot of these other people get rich? Why do they look successful?" What would you say to that? Yeah, well, there's not as many as you would think. Uh, they stand out, but you know, I I once had the great pleasure of meeting the late great actor George Burns, and. Um, we were we were sitting at the Hillcrest Country Club in Los Angeles and talking, and he was smoking a cigar. And I said, uh, Mr. Burns, uh, would that be your first cigar of the day? And this was about, you know, just after lunch. And he said, no, this is my fourth. And at this point, he was 99 years old, and he I'm pretty sure he lived to be over 100 years old. Wow. Now, if anybody takes what I've just said as... Uh, an idea that smoking four or five or six cigars a day is the way to live to be 100, uh, you'd be making a very serious mistake. There are outliers, there are exceptions, and I don't know much about the physical makeup of the late, great George Burns. Uh, I don't know how it is that he thrived on tobacco the way he did. Uh, And, you know, if you ask me, I'd say if you smoke one or two or three cigars a week, i I personally, I'm not a doctor. I have trouble believing it'll hurt you. (laughs) But a whole lot of them like that can't possibly be good for you. But it was good for him. Yeah, there are exceptions. Right. Um, You know, in the United States of America, there is a very large number of small, successful business people who've all become millionaires. It's a very, very large number. Mm -hmm. Uh, The overwhelming majority of them are good, likable people. Mm -hmm. Are there horrible people who become super wealthy? Yeah. Very often they become horrible after they became super wealthy when they suddenly discovered they can get away with anything. Right. Right. What would you say are some of the mistakes, the common mistakes that eager entrepreneurs make? Um, there are so many. <laughs> that's that's for sure. What would you say are the uh, ones that? So what, what would you say are some of the the ones that you see that seem to be uh, a thread within many entrepreneurs? Um, probably uh, one of the common ones is selfishness. Now, most of us would say we're not selfish people because our self esteem requires that uh, we see ourselves as as somewhat virtuous. That's that's a, it's a very common human behavior, mm-hmm. uh, but nonetheless. Uh, even people who think of themselves as not being selfish, and I've I've hired people, many people over the years, where I talk to people, and I say, uh, so where where would you like to see yourself in three years' time? And very often the answer will be uh, incredibly selfish. The answer will be, well, I've uh, you know I've always wanted to start a band, so I'm hoping that uh, I will have achieved a level of financial success in three years' time that I can actually. Start a band. Now, as a potential employer, what I'm really hearing is the truth behind that statement, which is I don't give anything right. for you, your problems, or your company. Right. You are just an avenue for me to get to where I want to get. Right. What do you think my response is? Don't call me. Right. I'll call you maybe right. one day, ever. Right. <laughs> I'm not interested in I'm not interested in an employee like that. Now, if a coach would have said to that employee, you lost that job interview because you were being selfish, the person would protest. 
Right. But that's exactly what he was being. Right. I mentioned to the team just recently, I said, the, the, the biggest problem you're going to have is, and where you're going to fail is because of your pride. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. That's right. And, um, uh, unfortunately, this stuff's encouraged, by the way. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if you remember any of the speeches when you, when you left college, commencement day speeches. They all, they all say the same thing, you know, follow your dreams. Mm-hmm. Well, it's nonsense. No successful people followed their dreams. You know, Steve Jobs had dreams of becoming an artist. He didn't follow them. He followed what worked, namely the computer biz. Right. Uh, I, I will tell you, I, I, if I look back and I look back on some of the things that I've done and I see where I have dramatically failed, it was when I did not follow the things that worked. But I, yes, but I had this right. ignorant belief that if I kept going in that direction, even if I yeah. knew it didn't work, that it would work. Yeah, because your dreams, you're all, you know, we've all been educated, particularly in the last 50 years. You know, our dreams are so important, your aspirations, your ambitions. Guess what? The world cares zero for your dreams, aspirations, and ambitions. But everyone says they care. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> exactly. You mustn't confuse courtesy and politeness with truth. That's that's for sure. That's for sure. So one of the one of the areas that I would say that um, I've definitely been enlightened on with with reading um, and learning more from you, and then really having to put into play in my life was this focus on the the family, and also the focus on um, just because I work a lot more. Uh, doesn't mean that it's going to produce any more success in my life, personal, business, whatever it may be. But I think one of the failures that a lot of entrepreneurs face is the, and and the world teaches, is that I've got to work as much as possible right now. I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, when when people get married, they say, well, you don't have kids yet, so do as much as you possibly can right now. I think it is incredibly dangerous to start out that way. What are your thoughts in regards to work? What are your thoughts in regards to work and the amount of work and the excessiveness of work? Um, it's uh, uh, it, it's really important to to analyze clearly so we all understand what work actually means. Mm-hmm. Um, if if work is measured by um, uh, how tired I am as as a result, that's not really uh, work in terms of economic metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, if if my wife asks me to rearrange the furniture in the living room, you know, on Sunday, and I I, I huff and I puff and I move the the settee to one end and the other couch to the other end and I move chairs and tables around at the end of it I've really worked I mean certainly in terms of the physics definition of work which is the application of force multiplied by the distance through which its point of application moved I really delivered work but in economic terms I delivered no work at all Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, unless I'm by profession a furniture mover. And so um, we, we've got to understand that the, the contrast to what we were saying earlier, that uh, the selfishness is, you know, it's what I dream of. And, you know, uh, you know, people always say, find work that you love, and that way you'll never work a day in your life. Well, you know, I love boating. And I've yet to find anybody who wants to pay me to go boating. Right. It's irrelevant. It's, it's nothing to do with what you love. Uh, you, what you have to do is find out what other people need you to do. And then, and here's the big secret, and then you must learn to love doing it. Hmm. Can you expand on that a little that's bit? That's exactly what people do. You know, how many times have you read interviews or watched an interview with a successful business professional? And, you know, his, um, I can think of one guy, I, I was doing a, uh, um, uh, a, uh, a business seminar in, um, in Kansas City a few months ago. And there were about uh, 50 guys in the room. And at one point before lunch, I went around the room and I just asked people to tell me what they do. And uh, it was, you know, pretty, pretty standard all the way through it. One of the interesting things was one guy uh, and I said, uh, and you said, you know, tell me your name and what you do. He said, uh, I'm Joseph. I'm a garbage man. And uh, and then we carried on. But at lunchtime, I sought him out. I said, Joseph, um, I don't know you. I've never spoken to you before, right? And I will tell you, I've not spoken to anyone else about you either. Um, but I'm going to make a guess now. And you tell me if I'm right or wrong. Uh, when you said you're a garbage man, I'm going to say you took great delight in telling me that because the reality is you own at least 12 garbage trucks. And he burst out laughing and he said, I took great pleasure in it and I own over 100 garbage trucks. I, I own many of the major garbage routes in Kansas City. Oh, my. And I said, uh, tell me, you know, at, at this stage in, in your life, you're obviously very successful. Uh, would you do anything differently? And he said, I wouldn't do another thing differently. Now, this is very interesting because does this mean that from the time he was a teenager, he dreamed of becoming a garbage man? Of course not. Right. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that he followed what worked. Maybe he wanted to be a musician. Maybe he wanted to be an artist. Maybe mm -hmm. he wanted to be a doctor. I don't know. But somehow or another, he found a way to make money early on in the garbage business. And he saw that he was able to grow it and develop it. And he trained himself to love what he's in. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm a garbage man with such delight in his voice that I just knew there was a story there. And so uh, th that's a really important thing. Work is when you satisfy the needs and the desires of other human beings. That's what work is. Um, and now you could say I was doing work for my wife. I was. It just from an econom uh, econometric point of view, there was no money changing hands. And I'm a big believer in money changing hands because that proves that you have delivered value. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And a lot of the times we work on things that that do not deliver uh, monetary value uh, to to us. Uh, that's where that's where the following the dreams it comes into play. Follow the dreams, follow the dreams. But finally, we figure out 
that it's not producing anything for us. And, yes. and I've helped multiple people discover that their dream and their passion project and everything else is not going to pay them a dime. That's right. And that's a very sad for some people. Um, but I consider it a great uh, discovery <laughs> because it, it, it doesn't lead you down a, a productive road at all. No, that's particularly right. And uh, everybody knows that money doesn't make you happy. All you have to do is look at the story after story after story you can find online of the lives of lottery winners. You would have thought that somebody who win $10 million, all of a sudden they live the most beautiful lives imaginable. Almost none of them do. Mm -hmm. And so uh, winning money doesn't make you happy. Finding money on the street doesn't make you happy. But I'll tell you what does make you happy. Earning money. Making money. That does produce happiness. It really does. And one of the deep reasons is because there's no way to make money other than using a gun. There is no way to make money without pleasing another human being. And that is deeply satisfying. Mm, I agree. I agree. So one of the last questions that, that we usually ask is, is talking about uh, people in your life, but I want to throw something, I want to throw something out to you and change this up just a little bit. Something that you talk a lot about is community and the, the Jewish community I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say it's probably one of the strongest communities in the world um, for, for many reasons. Would you say that community has a direct uh, impact on someone's success? Uh, not really, okay. because uh, um, anybody who thinks that all Jews love each other and constantly work at trying to advance one another's interests have never served on the board of directors of the local synagogue. Okay. Um, so I'd like to say that Jews are very closely linked and, uh, and can, that, that's not really true. Okay. Uh, like everybody else, we, we form links with our family and with our friends. Okay. And uh, it's possible that, that many of my friends are Jewish, but not all. Probably, I would say, maybe half and half. Half of my friends are, are serious Christians, and half half of them uh, probably are Jewish. And and so it's not so much the Jewish community, but it's 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 this basic idea which um, Malcolm Gladwell happened to uh, mention in one of his books, so it became popular and well known. But um, uh, the most reliable correlation for people who've done well financially is uh, the number of friends they have. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not talking about Facebook friends, right, please. Right, Because I would happily switch 100 Facebook friends for one real friend. That's true. I'd switch 1,000 Facebook friends. I, I was about to say 1,000 would be good for me. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but um, defining a friend as somebody who'd return your call within 24 hours, uh, and if we now go ahead and try and make a list of how many friends we have, um, it's not as many as you'd think. And the interesting thing is that people who are financially successful uh, have a much bigger list than people who are not. Hmm. Because those of us who are financially successful go out of our way to make friends. Mm -hmm. We go out of our way to expand our social circle. And we view uh, being an introvert in much the same way as we view... Uh, breaking an arm. 
you know, get it fixed. Mm -hmm. You don't just live with that. Go and get it fixed. You know, get an orthopedic surgeon to set your arm and get it uh, to to set and join and, and become back to normal. Uh, similarly, people who are introverted are people who just, you know, don't like being with other people. Fix it. It's a flaw. How do you fix it? Now, again, this is a little bit like the doctors I, in my example earlier. Some of you are going to say, uh, look, I don't want to hear that. I, mean, I am who I am and I'm an introvert. Okay, fine. If you are you or who you are, stay poor and enjoy the rest of your life. I can't help you. But one of the huge differences between a human being and a camel or a cat or a cow or a kangaroo is that in a year's time, the camel and the cat and the cow and the kangaroo will still be a camel and a cow and a cat and a kangaroo. But a human being in a year's time can be utterly different and changing. That's the magic of being a person, not an animal. We have the capacity to grow and change. I wouldn't want to be judged on who I was 10 years ago. I'm better than I was 10 years ago. And so, uh, uh, yeah, uh, there, there are lots of areas in which I can improve. I can become a better husband. I can become a better father. I can become a better brother. I can become a better vendor. I can become a better employer. Uh, and and part of the excitement of life is trying to improve these things. And um, and revenue and income are very often a reliable indicator of how successful you've been on improving these things. Mm -hmm. I have one more question for you. That whatever what, you want. That when you when you brought that up, and it's uh, there. There's this trendy. There's this trendy thing of living your best life now. Can you? Can I just love to know your opinion on this? Because I've got I've got plenty of opinions on it. <laughs> To tell you the truth, I don't even know what it means. I don't either. What is What would be the opposite? Not living your best life now or living your best life yesterday or right. next week? I, I don't get what it even means. So I, I, I think it's trendy, like you said, and it's seductive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that I discourage are vision boards. Do you know what a vision board is? I do. I do know what a vision board is. I don't. Um, I don't practice I don't it, but I. But I do. I do know what it is, and it's very popular. I'm not talking about drawing up a an organization plan for sure. your company. That, that's all. What I, what people mean when they say vision board is somewhere where they see it every day in their bathroom or in their kitchen. Uh, they put up a board with you know the new car they want to buy and the house they want to buy and the boat they want to buy, etc., etc., etc. And the idea is you're supposed to look at the stuff and develop a yearning and you know. Uh, all it does is dissipate energy. It's not a good thing. And again, it emphasizes the selfishness. Mm -hmm. I don't work in order to be able to get a car. I get a car in order to be able to work more effectively. And I work in order to satisfy the needs of other human beings. That's what ultimately gives me meaning. It's mm. good. So live your best life today. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> Well, I was hoping you could tell me. <laughs> so. I mean, I, I hope what it doesn't mean and certainly shouldn't mean is, um, you know, spend like there's no tomorrow. That's true. That's true. You know, doesn't uh, buy whatever you want today, you know, go into debt to do it. I, I suppose that could be one interpretation of it. But no, I, I do not know what it means. So I wish I could spend I, I wish I could spend the next two hours talking to you and asking you all my Likewise, all my different yes, questions. It would be fun more. <laughs> um, but but we are out of time. What I would love to know from you 
there are so many people that are wanting to learn more. Um, you know, it's, it's very interesting in looking at your thousands and thousands of people that are following you. And it's, it's very interesting, the diversity of the people, um, you have people of all walks of life that are following and, and learning your teaching. Um, I would yeah, yeah, love, I'm very, I'm very humbled by that and I appreciate it. It's, it's, it's quite amazing. And so I would love to know what are, what would you say someone who has never heard any teachings, what would you say is a, a, a good way to, to start learning a little bit more and hearing more about, about what you're teaching in general? Uh, well, one thing they can do is, is buy a copy of thou shall prosper because, mm-hmm. uh, it's not a quick read. It's, uh, I'd say it's probably at least a four-month program. You, you're going to be busy for at least four months. I, with, I, with the book I can vouch for that. I can vouch for that. Um, another thing to do is to visit my website at rabbidaniellappin.com. And there are resources available there. There are free resources that can already put you on the path towards changing your financial destiny. Mm. Fantastic. And then I also uh, do know that uh, you you have a community of, uh, of people as well. Um, we Happy Warriors. Can you just talk just a little bit about that? Uh, I love the name. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's um, it comes from my podcast. Uh, the podcast is called the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, and it's available on everything, uh, iTunes and everything else. And uh, it's a weekly podcast and. Uh, the, uh, the 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 idea of the podcast is that it is for happy warriors and people who want to become happy warriors. And a happy warrior is somebody who recognizes that um, the time for uh, retirement and relaxation are when you're dead. But life is for living. And uh, of necessity, because of the way God created us and the kind of world in which we live, uh, life involves a struggle, everything. Mm-hmm. And we, we live in a world where uh, even to stay where you are is a struggle because, in a sense, we're on a downward escalator. Um, doing what we feel like doing means putting on weight, eating whatever we like, not exercise. In other words, keeping your body in good shape. That is a challenge. It's a struggle. You have to be a warrior. Um to uh, maintain your car, you've got to take it in for service and get it washed. Otherwise, it's going to look like a rusty wreck in no time at all. Everything takes effort. And the key to it is to embrace that, to be a happy mm. warrior, to embrace all the effort, building your business, increasing your revenue, uh, strengthening your marriage. For heaven's sake, getting married. Uh, all of these things are a struggle. Right. And they take effort. And the key to uh, successful and fulfilling living is to embrace that and to be not only a warrior, but a happy warrior and to realize that happiness is not something dependent on somebody else. Uh, Happiness is a decision that you make, a decision that you make. And life is very different when you decide to be a happy warrior. Well, I thank you so much for being on today. Um, I hope that all of our visionaries listening to this can become happy warriors. I think it's I a. I think it's a huge uh, opportunity um, to to grow. Uh, I think a lot of the times that when you're some many of the things that you're saying, I just think of years going by and almost feeling bad for struggling, bad for struggling of struggling on business or struggling in marriage and all these things. And um, you know, you've just brought a lot of light and that we can we can be happy in the struggle. 
Uh, we can oh, know yeah. that we can anticipate that there's going to be struggle and we can be happy in it, knowing that if we're doing the oh, right yeah. thing and moving forward, uh, we can yeah. be happy in that. So absolutely, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful encouragement. So I hope that all of our visionaries that are listening to this are encouraged uh, by that. I hope so. Definitely. Well, again, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for being on today. And I think we're going to have to have you, you on for having me as a guest. I appreciate I, it. I think we're going to have to have you on again to, uh, to go through some more, uh, insightful, uh, information in regards to how to become a happy warrior. I think also how to, uh, live a prosperous life. Also, I think how to grow in our revenue um, as business owners. I think there's so many other things that we could definitely learn about, uh, but we can also learn those things uh, through all of your resources as well. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. I look forward. Take care. Thanks for joining us today on another episode of the Dangerously Vulnerable Podcast. To learn more about me, the Visionaries Wingman, head over to KaganHenson.com. If you're willing, subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment and tell us what you think. Until next time, keep breaking through those barriers that are holding you back from accomplishing your extraordinary vision.